Hi, I'm Liam Garrity, and welcome to Scale by Intercom. Scale is our dedicated content resource on the Inside Intercom blog, where you can find a wealth of materials, including podcasts, of course, that explore how businesses are driving growth through customer relationships. And this week, we hear from Mark Rudden, director of EMEA Sales at BrowserStack, who chatted with our own Kieran O'Neill, account executive in customer growth. Mark shares his insight into the challenges of onboarding pre-pandemic to mid-pandemic and why we need to think about people management in the same way as SaaS. It's a really interesting conversation. So let's head over to the studio and hear from Mark and Kieran. Mark, you're very welcome along to Scale by Intercom today. Delighted to chat about your work at BrowserStack. But to kick us off, I'd really love just to get a sense of, you know, how you ended up in sales and kind of your journey to where you are now. Cool. Well, firstly, thanks for having me. I'm a long-time admirer of the podcast, so it's great to be invited along. I think there's, I'm about 15 years in sales, about 10 years in SaaS sales. And the journey to sales was a bit of a random one, really. It was kind of, um, I worked in lots of different jobs after college that I didn't really know were sales. Looking back upon them now, I can see that all the things that I was doing were very target driven and commercial and, you know, based on revenue. So, I mean, I would have worked in media, in would have sold property, managed a band. Um, one of the businesses that myself and a couple of buddies had during the recession was, was selling bicycles. And we had retail stores and we sold to companies, including tech companies. And after taking a bit of a break and going doing some traveling, I came back to Dublin and took a look around and tech was really beginning to boom. So it was, a, it was an obvious choice. And because I'd sold bicycles to most of the tech companies in Dublin, I had some good contacts. So actually, I ended up getting into technology, uh, into Salesforce through kind of a referral, kind of a, a real Dublin story of, kind of figuring out a way to get into a company that wasn't the natural route, because I thought that was a, a more interesting way to get in. And ultimately, again, it was sales skills that allowed me to do that. So um, I ended up in Salesforce at a really, really interesting time. They went from 7,000 employees globally to 15,000 people in that year I joined. And you definitely felt that. You felt how fast it was growing. And I got the opportunity to work with some really smart people, some really driven people. And I got trained really well. Uh, I know you're a former, you're, you're a Salesforce alumni as well. So so I, I'm sure you can relate to the the type of training that you get and, and the type of type of experience you get onboarding. Yeah, I am indeed. And I've uh, you in a large part to thank for getting my foot in the door. Like yourself, I had maybe a, a not so traditional route into Salesforce. So thanks for that. It was a great experience. Yeah, it's one of those places where obviously it's a, it's a massive company now. It was still a massive company then, but it's really, really large company now. It's filled with really smart driven people and they have killer products. So it's a, it's a great place for people to go and um, to learn about the SaaS business um, and, and ultimately to, to grow their careers. After that, I wanted to get back into smaller businesses. One of the pieces around Salesforce was that I got the sense of I'd missed a lot of the, the rock and roll years and the real hyper growth. So I went looking for that. I was the first sales hire for a company called Reich, which is a project management software company, a work management software company. And I was the, the idea there was to go to a company where I was one of the first salespeople and put the foot down and take the opportunities that came my way and make sure that most people got hired behind me, not in front of me. And, you know, I was lucky enough to find that at Reich and have four and a half, almost five 
fantastic years there. They recently been acquired by Citrix. A couple of years ago, they were acquired by a private equity firm. So there's lots of change that went, there was different phases to that business as well, which is great. But once I reached a, a certain level, again, you start looking around at, okay, what's the next phase? And 10 years ago, I, and my, my then girlfriend, now wife, had a conversation with her about kind of having a 10 to 12 year career stint that was broken into three parts. That was learn about something, get good at something and master something. And I don't think you can ever really master business or SaaS or sales or anything like that. But, but to go to a company then, and instead of being the first sales hire to be the first leader in the region, that was, the, that was always the goal. Brazzstack came calling. And if I'm honest, I didn't, I'd never heard of Brazzstack. They're an engineering platform and I'd always been more on the front end. So when, but looking at Brazzstack, you know, looking at the product they had, the market, the growth rate, the customers they already had in Europe, and they were looking for somebody to scale out their enterprise business across Europe, and it was an offer that was too good to turn down. So from bikes to Brazzstack, I suppose <laughs> I know you started there in in January 2020, just enough time to get settled into the role, understand the product, understand you know I suppose the vision for the future, and then the pandemic hit. So. I'd love to get an understanding of, you know, what was the initial, you know, ambition, the goal that you'd set yourself and the team when you started? And then how was that impacted by you know, the world being turned upside down with COVID? Yeah, it was an interesting three months because obviously we didn't really see it. But well, we saw COVID happening in China in January, but we didn't really see it to the extent that it it was, I think anybody who says they did, who, who isn't a scientist is probably full of BS. But the first three months in any role at any level are a bit of a roller coaster. You're trying to figure out who you and your colleagues are, what the product is, the culture of the company, all that kind of stuff. So in January, I spent time in Mumbai. I spent most of the months in January in Mumbai, most of the time in February in the US, in San Francisco, in an office there. And January, you know, going to Mumbai was all about learning the product and going to San Francisco was all about sitting with the most experienced salespeople in the business and learning and learning and learning. And the goal was and still is in a way, hire 100 people in Dublin as fast as we can and get to $50 million in revenue out of Dublin as fast as we can, purely an enterprise business. That's Obviously, I flew back to Dublin on the 1st of March and we knew things were changing pretty rapidly. And... My role changed really rapidly. I stepped into a, a global director of sales operations. And the reason for that was my Reich experience. Being a satellite office for a fast-growing company, you kind of need to wear many hats. And because I came from Salesforce and because I had a bit more of a background in that, I ended up dipping my toe quite regularly into the sales ops world. And what I discovered pretty quickly in January last year when I arrived in Mumbai was that, you know, going from... 40 salespeople to 200 salespeople in a matter of nine months. It's not about hiring people. It's about putting down foundations of systems, processes, training, support people, and ensuring that you're supporting people in every way to be successful. Otherwise, people come and people go pretty rapidly. So that was always the plan at Browsestack. But when, when the world changed, you know, product training happened in classrooms. And for a tech company, everything still happened in a classroom because ultimately a classroom is better than online learning. Not that there isn't a place for online learning, but the immersion of being in a classroom is, you can't really replicate that on a Zoom call. So that changed pretty rapidly. And I spent six months in the sales ops role as we went through this massive hiring. Now we had already 
committed to hiring almost 150 people. And we were actively hiring another 150 at the time. Our recruitment processes were underway. And we had some real decisions to make. You know, what does the world look like in six months, in 12 months? What does our business look like? Should we be hiring? Should we be pausing? Most companies paused. But I, I think our board and our founders are pretty bullish on our business and pretty confident in our place in the digital economy. So we decided to we decided to push on, but we had to re-engineer all of our onboarding programs in order to make that happen. Okay, interesting. So your your goals in terms of headcount actually remained stable from you know pre-pandemic to, to post-pandemic. So we paused hiring in Dublin. Um, and we closed the office here and we decided to pause as well in the US. Um, we have offices in San Francisco and New York. So we paused all of our enterprise field sales, but in our HQ, we decided to we decided to put the foot down and really, really go for it. So that's where a lot of that hiring happened because they couldn't be in the office. Obviously, we had to, uh, we brought in some consultants on the sales enablement side. Uh, we beefed up our sales force and our connected kind of customer platform. And ultimately, we had to do a lot of work on re-engineering how we teach, train, and enable people. Absolutely. And that's actually something I was going to come to next, was just that onboarding process and the enablement process. So as you mentioned, you know, in the past, it was you know, very much location-based. You know, what did the sales enablement team, what did you like do? How did that change? How did that process look? Uh, well, we hired a couple of people very quickly. Um, we had, we needed to find some people with some with some good experience in the area really quickly. Um, we also brought in some consultants because things are happening so fast. You can hire and train, or you can purchase <laughs> you can purchase the knowledge and the experience as well. So we did a bit of both just to kind of balance things out a bit. But we needed to spin up a learning management system pretty quickly. Now, luckily, we had one in place. It had just never been used to that extent. So it had always been something that was very supplementary, that was something that was a little bit, there was content in there, but was it as cutting edge as we needed it to be? So our learning management system had to be kind of stripped back. It's kind of the equivalent of going into an old house and stripping it back to the walls and having to having to really start from scratch again. So we started from scratch and we had a six-week turnaround time to take our training. We pushed some start dates and we essentially took what was our existing onboarding process and training process, stripped it back to bare bones, and then rebuilt it back for remote working. But anything like that is never a silver bullet. You're you're never going to get it right. So we've iterated on that probably three times in the last year as we build data and as we collect data and as we analyze it and look for insights. And, you know, the most important information you get from that is the feedback from the people who are going through the training. So we certainly... We certainly didn't get it 100% right first time, but it was about getting it to a point where we felt confident we were giving we were giving people what they needed to a certain level. We didn't really know what that level was going to be because, you know, this is this is trial and error in a blitz scale company going through hyper growth. You know, you kind of you have to take a bit of a leap of faith, and sometimes so we took that leap of faith. We didn't get everything right. And we've gone back a couple of times to uh, to supplement over and innovated. It's iterated as we've gone. And 15 months later, it looks quite different to how it looked back then. Yeah, absolutely. And it's something that we definitely believe here in Intercom that, you know, we take um, 
the kind of cookie approach where, you know, we start with something that minimum requirement product and then, you know, it changes, you know, as you put that in place, you know, things that will emerge that, you know, you never thought of in the first place. So, um, yeah. And even looking at our own, our people team and our enablement team, I've so much respect for them over the past year. Um, we've been in a similar situation where, you know, we've obviously been onboarding a ton of people in a remote environment um, and that brings lots of complications. So uh, yeah, really fascinating area. Um, what I'd like to do is just to revisit, you know, the scale side of things in terms of how you're building that team. So at that level, and I think ultimately, I think you went from a company of the size of like 300 to 700 people, which, you know, as you said earlier, it, it's a fantastic endorsement of the strength of the business. Um, but at that level, it's about more than just, you know, adding some headcount to individual teams. You know, you're building new teams, you're creating new roles, potentially um, new reporting lines. How did that process work for you? It's a pretty labor-intensive planning process, and there's lots of different people involved, everybody from the board down, our sales operations team, to some pretty smart people in there as well who are analyzing a lot of the data, analyzing a lot of what's happening in the market with our customers uh, we look at our retention rates, we look at our acquisition rates, we look at the incremental revenue we have, and there's a lot of pieces that go into it. And because of that, it takes time and you need lots of people to look at it and you need to take a lot of opinions. So, you know, finance have a lot of opinions when it comes to hiring people. Recruitment do, HR do, management do. There's just so many parts to it. And I think the difference for me at Bresdak, you know, doing that global sales sales operations role being in the room every day with our C-levels, with head of finance, with head of recruitment, with head of, on a personal level, I can just say that that was fascinating, exciting and scary, all in equal measure. But it was a real kind of glimpse into our major backers are Excel, which, you know, one of the, the premier VCs in the world. There's a lot of people having input into that. And because of that, it's, it's pretty detailed. So when it comes down to the customer-facing teams, we obviously have, it's a classic SaaS model. We have business development doing inbound and outbound. We have SMB, mid-market enterprise. We have people doing renewals. We have people working on net new customers and we have people working with existing customers. So what we're doing is not new. It's about analyzing all of the different inputs and trying to solve for the outputs that we want. So we know what growth rate we want to grow at. We know where we want to be in one year, two years, three years, four years. We know what our deal sizes are. We know what our customers, we know what the market price is. We know all of these different pieces. And you have to reverse engineer that back for the, what people we need. So how many graduates are we going to take in? How many people with five years experience? How many people with 10 years experience? What's the management structure going to look like? What type of organizations do we want to take people from? So, I mean... That would normally take six to nine months and sitting in these meetings and doing it much faster than that. I won't tell you how fast, but it was, it certainly felt, it certainly felt fast. That was part of it. It's not a one and done calculation either. It needs to be monitored and tracked almost by monthly. Again, we take data points and, and see where we're tracking and where we need to be. And there's tons and tons of variables that go into that so it's an interesting question you could do a podcast series on that alone <laughs> yeah interesting you talk about the data points i suppose uh, you know, did you notice any you know key kind of standout things from you know pre-pandemic to, to mid-pandemic in terms of those data points when you're talking about onboarding and uh, 
that sort of thing. Yeah, ultimately you see a slowdown if you've got an established way of onboarding and everybody in your business is very comfortable with it. You've got to change it to something new. That new way of working doesn't have any data. But also everybody who's involved in delivering that has to go through or is going through a period of change management. So it's really kind of difficult to see the wood from the trees. I can say 12 months later now that after doing multiple intakes of people at different levels in different regions in different roles, we know a lot more now than we did then. But certainly our initial kind of onboarding, we would have seen slower ramping rates. We would have seen smaller first deals, average deal sizes. And that goes back to, again, the classroom versus the online. And one of the really kind of interesting points about learning online or just about our calendars, you know, I'm sure your calendar today for the rest of the day is, is full. And mine is too, right? And every part slot in that calendar has a purpose and we're really productive. But what we're missing is all the, the absorption and the accidental learning and the off-the-cuff conversations and the overheard in the corridor. And, you know, I've been in Intercom's office and it's a wonderful space. It has lots of spaces for these kind of conversations and stuff to happen. Zoom is a really bad place to replicate that because Zoom automatically prioritizes the loudest voice. And that is really bad for learning. So, you know, I kind of, and you probably saw it on, on both sides of the coin. You started just, you started an intercom just before the pandemic. So you were probably kind of one foot in, in both, in, in, in bit of column A, bit of column B. But for us, for me, especially with my team in Dublin, you know, we've planned and planned and planned and planned everything we're going to teach everybody. But they're still not learning as much as the people who were there slightly before the pandemic, people who started in January 2020. And the reason for that is the loss of accidental learning. It's, it's been a killer. So now the second and third iteration of our onboarding, it's much more about conversation rooms. It's much more about group discussions, group projects. They contact each other much more on WhatsApp. And we haven't cracked it yet, but we're getting much better outcomes. But I, I think when I think of January and February spending time in Mumbai and San Francisco, if I hadn't have been able to do that, my impact on the business in the last 12 months, I think would have been 50%. So I've got to put myself then in, in the people we're hiring and we've got a duty of care there as well. You know, we're hiring people into a really fast growing business, which is exciting. They can go and do some career defining work. Like a, a three to four year journey with a pre-IPO company is, it has the potential to change people's careers. We have a duty of care to be able to take people in and make them successful. And we need to be able to say to people, you know, come work for us. We can make you successful and that's probably been the biggest challenge of the last 12 months. Just before we continue with today's episode, I wanted to let you know about Offscript. It's a new series of candid conversations with intercom leadership all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing. Episode 1 is on our YouTube channel right now. Here's a teaser of what you can expect. I don't want to come across as overly dramatic, but for every single tech company, this is an adapt-or-die moment. It's inevitable that all businesses are going to go AI first. It's just a matter of time. In this post-AI world, new companies will rise, old companies will fall. Of course, some of these new companies will flame out. Some old companies will pivot successfully too. I don't think any of us could see a world where this wasn't going to be one of the biggest changes in the customer service landscape ever. The world we care about is customer service, and it's so patently obvious that the old way will be quickly obsolete. 
We're racing hard to build a future which will result in better experiences and results for customers and businesses too. It's not just a product change, it's a mindset change. Let's make space to talk about all of this. We have so much we want to share. We want to explore these ideas in the open. We want to provoke new ones in you. We want to learn from your reaction. You just click the kind of like big stupid go button, right? And see what happens. Welcome to Offscript. That's all to come on Offscript. The first episode is out now. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. In terms of you know the shift to remote, did that impact how you were attracting talent? You know, the way in which you were hiring those people, you know, even in terms of the types of people that you were actually looking for, how did that have an impact? Yeah, it's a good question. I think a lot of businesses, especially the larger businesses, and I think a Salesforce, for example, the sales culture is get on site, get in the room and walk the halls and be there with the customer and build that relationship. And you can't replicate that virtually as, as much as you try. There's always that kind of personal relationship, which, uh, which is key when you're going into a partnership with a customer you're not just you're not just selling them something and walking away it's a subscription you know it's a long-term relationship so when when i think about the dublin team and specifically like we manage enterprise customers in europe we manage some of the largest customers in europe out of our dublin office and typically when you go and hire enterprise people they come with 10 plus years experience they're used to selling large complex deals managing really complex stakeholders complex commercials all of that kind of stuff but that level of complexity grows when you take away that on-site element. And the 60-minute Zoom is not the same as 60 minutes in the customer's office in a, in a meeting room with a whiteboard and lots of other things. But I think one of the questions we need to ask ourselves is, what world are we hiring people for? We're hiring people for three or four years since in their career. And obviously, as we speak, vaccination programs are, are being quite successful globally. Are we hiring people for full-time remote work or are we hiring them for a hybrid world or how much business travel do you think will come back? So I think we're, we are hiring for a hybrid world. We're hiring for, yes, there will be some business travel and customer on-sites, but if more and more of our customers are working from home, meeting them in the office becomes a harder thing to do as well. So it's probably meeting people on-site is more of a special occasion and everybody will come in specifically for that as opposed to just turning up at the office and the people you want to meet are there. So to answer your question, your original question, we probably are looking for people who are really high achieving commercial reps or kind of people who've worked in enterprise roles at companies similar size to Browsersack or slightly bigger. Whereas when you look at the really large companies, those guys can typically be on the road four days a week. It's called field sales for a reason. It's probably we're moving towards enterprise sales being more of a hybrid model, and and they're the people we're looking for. One thing that's kind of you know coming up again and again as as you're talking there is your focus kind of on a people first approach. So I'd love to understand you know what that means for browser stack. Obviously, you know if you're growing at this level and you want to you know not only attract people but also retain the people you have, how do you do that at scale? Yeah, it's funny we we work for businesses that are obsessed with renewals, right? You know, SaaS is subscription businesses. And I think you kind of need to think about people management the same way. You know, we can grow really fast if we retain 90% of our people every year. 
the business will also grow if you retain 90% of our revenue every year. And when you think about a per, people first business, you know, there's, I think about the people who work at Brasdac and they look after customers and customers look after the numbers. And I think if you skip the people and you know, everybody's a customer centric organization, no question, but who looks after your customers? Your people look after your customers. Management doesn't look after customers. That doesn't, it doesn't really happen that way. So when you think about a business and it's, it's like a, it's like a subscription, we've got, we've got to make sure we hire the right people, but we've also got to keep them for a long period of time. And it's really only kind of year two and year three, you get the best and the big outcomes out of the best people. Because you come in, you, you take six months to ramp up. You take six months to read, you learn the ropes. 12 months in, you've completed a fiscal year. You're ready to go. That's, that second year of tenured rep is really where businesses get the, that's where the juice is. Right? And you need to get as many people to that as possible and then give them a path to grow and develop their career. And they need to be earning, they need to be learning, and they need to be having fun. And you need to tick all those boxes. Otherwise, either people want to leave because they're not happy or they get a better offer down the road. But people who are earning and learning and having fun rarely leave jobs. In fact, if you have two out of three people rarely leave a job. So unless, of course, it's a once in a lifetime offer. But I think that kind of that leading with empathy, the other side of that is our businesses keep getting more and more data driven. It becomes more and more scientific all the time. But people aren't getting more scientific. People are the same. People have been the same for a long time. They'll be the same for a long time in the future. So when I think about people management, you know, you got to separate the people from the data a little bit and people need to know that they're in an environment where you've got their back, you're going to look after them, that they can talk openly about what's wrong with the business, what's wrong with them, what's wrong with customers, that, that it's a bit of a safe space. And my, my, certainly my experience, especially at Reich, is where you give people a safe space to work the way they want to work and be who they want to be, you get outstanding results. And that means your attrition rate stays really low. People coming in, come into this culture where they look around, they go, hey, I want to be part of this. And people are being successful and progressing their careers. And then even the people that leave, they leave on really good terms and they go on to bigger and better things. And again, you need to be really happy for them to do that. Couldn't agree more, Mark. Yeah, I really think, you know, as I look back at my own career, I think when you look at, you know, if a business or if a manager has a, a focus on the people, then everything else will kind of take care of itself. What I'd like to do now is is just take a look forward. A lot of uh, what we've been doing so far is kind of looking back over the last year to 18 months. What I'd like to just ask you know, about your plans for uh, the rest of 2021 and into 2022. Have you got any big projects on the cards? What does uh, the future look like for uh, yourself and also for BrazzerStack? It's, it's shaping up to be a, a really big year. Uh, we have grown significantly through the pandemic. And obviously, you know, our, our fortunes are very much tied to the growth of the digital economy, which has been accelerated in the last year. Really, the focus for us, the big project is, is people. We're, we're very much back on track hiring in Dublin. We hope to open a new office towards the end of the year when obviously public health guidelines allow us to do so. And it's really about attracting and retaining the best people at the moment. We have too many customers to be managed right now. And it's a great problem to have for the team that are there, but we need more people, we need support. So after that pause in hiring in Dublin, we're very much, very much kind of accelerating that. And I think, I think you'll see the Dublin office grow considerably through to the end of the year. 
Great, amazing, exciting times. Uh, and we're in a similar situation in that we are planning to open a new office in Dublin as well. So super exciting. I've seen some of the plans um, and yeah, we're definitely looking forward to inviting you in and, and having coffee uh, someday. It, it's going to have to be a really nice office to match the old one. Uh, I, I, I've, uh, I'd, be, I'd be lying if I said I hadn't nipped in for, for lunch and intercom more than a few times. And uh, uh, another question is, is the bar moving with you? Hope, hopefully you're taking the bar with you. I think I can confirm that. Uh, yeah, I think I don't think we'd get away with removing the bar. Yeah, it's an, um, it's an institution at this stage. Absolutely. So, Mark, this series is all about you know hearing about how companies can scale, and that's very much been the focus of the conversation so far. But you know, to end, I'd just like to end with a note of thanks from myself. We go way back, and a big part of the reason I changed industries and moved into SaaS sales and eventually into Intercom was actually you know thanks to a lot of your guidance that, that, that you gave me and, and support as well. So huge thanks for, for that. But what I'd like for you to finish on is something I know that's key to a lot of your personal decision-making. And, and you uh, shared this with me uh, when I was thinking of, of changing careers myself, your P model. Um, <laughs> I, I get asked about this quite a bit. I, I actually didn't think it would get it would grow legs the way it did. So I, I wrote a piece about this on LinkedIn a few years ago. And it was really after joining Reich from Salesforce, around the time I was leaving Salesforce, there was tons of companies around. And they were kind of looking at tons of companies that on the surface all look very similar. And even talking to them sometimes, it felt very similar. And I needed a way of trying to differentiate between some of the opportunities that were around in Dublin. So I distilled it down to the three Ps, as I now called. Uh, one is product. It's a product you'd sell to a family member at list price because it's that good. People, the people that you're going to work with, are you on the same wavelength? Can you learn from them? Can they learn from you? And ultimately, do you think that they would be people, good people to go on a journey with in good times and in bad? And then the final part is progression. Is the company growing? Typically, it needs to be above 50% year over year. Is it growing fast enough that it's going to generate the opportunities for you to progress your career in a three to four year period. That kind of started at that kind of simple framework. It's the same framework when BrowseDAC came calling. I put them through that piece and it was really, really helpful, especially going through an interview process and going through all that, understanding exactly what I'm trying to find out. You know, oftentimes you go through an interview process and it's about them interviewing you, but sometimes you need a little bit of help to go and interview them back. And that interview process needs to be a two-way street. And that mechanism or that model kind of helped me out massively. And thankfully, it's helped me make some some, some decent decisions along the way. Me too. Uh, love it. Uh, sage advice. So just to finish up, if our listeners want to learn a bit more about Browser Stack, is there any content that you would recommend? I think our, our website's a good place to start. Uh, we also post a lot of stuff on LinkedIn. I post on LinkedIn probably not as much as I should, but our marketing department are, are trying to get me to do more of that. But ultimately, if you're if you're interested in a career at BrowserStack, the best thing to do is just message people. Go and talk to people. As I said, there's all of our open roles are on the website. But if the open role, if you should try to find the hiring manager for that open role on LinkedIn and contact them, because as always, that is always the best place to go. And I say that at the end of a podcast to reward anybody who's listened all the way through and is thinking of applying to Brazil Tech because that's the, that's the nugget. 
um, it always gets people's attention when, when they get a direct reach out. Thanks so much, Mark. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. If you enjoyed our chat with Mark, make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes by following us on Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to us now.